0: Hi, this is Matt Kempel, co-owner of Milwaukee's premier live comedy spot, The Laughing Tap, and founder of the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. I hope everyone is ready for a great show tonight. Make sure you have turned off your electronic devices and keep talking to others in your group to a minimum. With that, I'd like to bring on tonight's headliners Jim Martin and Chris Beyer! It's season six of the Bait and Switch Podcast. Welcome back to the Bait and Switch Podcast. This is Chris Beyer, as always, with Jim Martin. Hello, Jim. Hey, Chris. I just realized that I forgot my our guest's last name. I was just thinking about What's that. I'm glad I'm not la- doing the intro is because is I don't Brend- know. It's Brendan. What's your last name, Brendan?
1: It's Brendan O'Day.
0: Brendan O'Day. And, 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 and I met Brendan. We've been going to the, some of stand-up things here in town. Mm-hmm. And I met Brendan at a, a stand-up event here in Milwaukee. And we've been talking comedy. I thought it might be interesting uh, to talk comedy here with Brendan because... He was a comedian. Uh, were you? You said that at one point you were. Comedian was a top <laughs> think, title, right? I think he yeah. still is a comedian. He kind of is. he's kind of still a comedian.
1: <laughs> yeah. COVID did a did a real number on on comedy in general, and so from a pure uh, percentage of my income, mm-hmm. comedy is much much smaller than it was in twenty nineteen. Uh, COVID came to my – so I I had a fairly successful comedy tour uh, from 2013 to around late 2018. Mm -hmm. And when that fell apart because I had a horrible experience with a road partner, Mm -hmm. uh, he stole a bunch of money and kind of – it was bad. So I was like, I'm done with comedy. This is terrible. We, right. we did a 1,000 shows in, in 37 states. We were rocking. Yeah. And this guy chose to end it all by just taking money to go out drinking and caught him on camera. That's always a fun thing when you're in the lawyer's office working up the disillusion of partnership uh, paperwork <laughs> and, and the phone goes off to let you know that he's stealing again. Oh, and, uh, and, you, and the lawyer can't believe it. I go, oh, would you like to watch it live? He's doing it right now. <laughs> wow, That's always fun. And, um So I took a break for about three or four months and then went, you know, I I was doing this. This is what I do. I should, there's other comedians out there. I should just jump back in and a comedian I always wanted to work with was available and, uh, his, his comedy life was changing a little bit. So he was ready to join up. And so we did a bunch of shows together and, and I was like, those went really well. And I even changed the model a little bit, um, to make it even more attractive to, uh, venue owners. And then, um. And then COVID hit. Yeah, um, and Whoops. I had really booked 2020. I had 143 shows booked for 2020. Wow! And from the Thursday at 4 p.m., 8 p.m. Friday, I had lost all but one of those shows. Jesus, just I, a wow. land. My phone just Jeez. blew up straight. We got to cancel. We got to cancel. We gotta, we don't know what's going on. We have no idea what's going to be happening. Cancel, cancel, yeah. cancel. And I kept one show that we scheduled rescheduled twice. Uh, to finally do it in May of 2022. So for two years, no, wow. nothing. Not let's let's
0: back up to the beginning. How did you guys start in comedy? <laughs> Great question. I asked
1: my food and beverage manager at the hotel that I was a VJ slash DJ slash bartender.
0: He was kind of your muse. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: we had a company meeting and we were told that we would be starting a comedy night because that's when comedy had finally reached north central wisconsin what, um,
0: what, what time was this about? 80s? this was
1: 88 89 okay and um and comedy had finally moved all the way across the country and drifted north and and suddenly we were gonna have a once a month friday night comedy night mm-hmm. and so i'm in there doing my regular djing stuff and it's about half an hour before showtime and the food and beverage manager walks through and and I go so Randy when, what are you going to say tonight when you introduce the comedians he goes I, I can't get up there and, and and I can't get in front of people and talk yeah. and I'm like dude you run a meeting for 75 employees three times a month what are you talking about you can't talk well, you guys are employees. You're not people. Well, okay. There's my opening joke, yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, so it became my job with a half an hour notice. I, you know, I was a smart college kid. I was. Uh, I wrote a column for the newspaper. I mm-hmm. considered myself witty, right. and I went up there to introduce the comedians that night uh, with no preparation whatsoever. Went off the cuff. Didn't get a single laugh in three minutes. Forgot the. Headliner's name altogether mispronounced the feature act's name, who was coming up next, and was mercilessly destroyed by both of those comedians for being so terrible at my job. Yeah. Sure. And it was only after the show that I was able to say, "Oh, by the way, I I got this job twenty two minutes before the start of the show." Yeah. Right. But now, now let me ask this: you might have been, you might have done the perfect job for them. You certainly don't want to come up there and and just rock the place because then. They might look bad, right? I was thinking about that. When that's you, true. To MCs, and you gave you don't them material by not good, knowing their name. right? Yeah, yeah, they all they had something to work off of. But yes, you're right. Um, it is crucial that you kind of know your role, sure. in the process of of producing a quality show, mm-hmm. and and that's I think today one of the biggest problems. We're so concerned with DEI that we put people together because they've earned a spot. Mm-hmm. Because they donated time to a to a venue or something, which I hate. Because my job as a producer of comedy shows is to put on the best show that the audience can have, and that means let
0: me stop this. I warned Jim about this. (laughs) I'm teasing, I'm <laughs> no, teasing. Right. We, we, we got two halves here yeah, yeah. I said we're going to talk about his career then we're going to talk about where comedy's going and you well, got I, about, I was talking about, a about the change. career I said you know you no. did a great job in your first year because you, you were terrible
1: it. you should have seen this comedy. I, I didn't see it well. <laughs> anyway well, let's go back it's 1988 so you're, you're, 89 you're, you're so I start yeah. and um, we're a <laughs> once a great month great job being a terrible Thank job and we move on we're a once a month show it's going well so then they decide to do a Friday and Saturday have the comedian stay overnight geez we've got a hotel maybe we could probably put the guy up in a room and do two shows in a weekend a little 10 percent discount right yeah. yeah it's kind of cool well so like the second month comes up it's now the week of the show and i say to randy because i bombed so terribly a month before mm-hmm. i say so who did you get to actually do this you got somebody who's actually knows what they're doing he's like no it's your job (laughs) oh great so I got 24 hours to write a set of (laughs) material so that's my second moment that I I actually sat down and wrote and again went badly is Um, this uh,
0: Rhinelander or where are you this is
1: Wausau this is uh, Rib Mountain place used to be called the Best Western
0: Midway Motor Lodge in the 80s late 80s the, the comedy boom was happening back then. It was it starting to starting to die Well you? it was growing in the Midwest while it was
1: dying on the coast okay. We, okay. we always lagged the coast by about five to seven years in those days right. you know I don't know what the lag time is today now it's probably months because okay. of the internet but right. we um, but yeah it so it really rose through the early midnight it's funny because people talk about how comedy was dead in LA by 92 well it was rocking from literally the Rockies to the Ohio River Valley comedy was exploding and, and just growing and really good comics were coming out of that era
0: did you uh, who any any name comics up in Wausau that of the day that we might know
1: um, I mean we had some I mean, there were there were people that that came through. Uh, Paula Poundstone okay. came to our place, and mm-hmm. uh, Kathy Ladman was there. Uh, I'm trying to think of some Chicago comics, uh, comics you may or may not know, but would be semi-famous in Chicago. Would be guys like Larry Reeb, um, uh, Vince Moranto, um, yeah, just a handful of people that. Uh, are still in the game today now at 30 uh there's a guy who from chicago originally milwaukee but mostly based in chicago that's going to be doing a show at shank hall later this month celebrating his 40th year as a stand-up and okay. and so cool. that's all the way from that era all the way through i think he started in 84 so okay uh or yeah first time on stage in like late 83 and then so that's there's people still swinging the bat out there it's kind of crazy so So
0: when did it go from you just being the emergency fill in to you thinking maybe i could do this well i was the regular host like i say and so once that
1: happened now i'm doing it once a month then we expand to two days so it's twice a month and then we started doing uh the first and second first and fourth first and third weekend of the month kind of a thing so i i'm now doing four shows a month Mm -hmm. and i'm writing new material for every show. Cause I'm a writer. I write a column in the college right. newspaper. I'm a college newspaper editor. You write if you're a writer. Well, from that very, f- I think it was the second weekend all the way to the end of the year, we brought a comedian back. So a guy that got booked back. So now he's going to be there for the two night weekend. He was there for just the Friday night. So they bring this guy back. And I used to ask, I I try to catch the headliner, you know, the 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 afternoon when they'd get into town, and I just, hey, mind if I bounce some questions off you? Is there anything? Right. You know, and just doing that—that's how I've lived my entire life—is I I learn by asking questions of people who are better at stuff than I am, right. and uh, and so I I was telling this guy about what I was going to be doing later tonight, and and uh, and he goes, you're you're going to do another you're going to do a new 10 minutes tonight? like, yeah, every show. He's like, that's ridiculous. And he's like, you don't do that. I'm like, well, what are you going to do? What are you doing tonight? He's like, I'm doing the same stuff I do every night. I've been working the same material for five years. I'm like, what? So we're sitting by the pool the next afternoon, and we go through all of my notebook full of material, and we pick out the best 10 minutes, and I go up, and I have one of the best sets. I have the best set I've ever had at that point. Sure. And that's when I had that moment where I was like, oh, no, well, did. if you just actually work on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that night, I didn't sleep. I, all night long, practicing that same 10 minutes so that when I got there Saturday night, it was going to rock. Yeah. And it went great. And it's like, you had to suffer for a year. Right. And there was no such thing as open mics back then. Right. Uh, certainly not in Wisconsin. Certainly in New York, LA, yes. There mm-hmm. was definitely an open mic scene. And it's a, it was a little different in structure back then, um, but certainly existed where you could practice and not get paid. Right. I'm just get, I'm just practicing at a at a club level type thing, mm-hmm. not knowing that I'm practicing at a club level type thing. <laughs> right. I'm just doing what I think I'm supposed to be. Do. I'm doing what the boss told me to do, and that's host this stupid show. Right. So, uh, but it was that moment when that night kind of came together, and I worked with a set of material that was a whole bunch of stuff that we literally spent like three hours that afternoon pulling material out. Yeah. That's great that someone's sitting there helping you kind of track you through it all. and, And to tell you like, you don't have to come up with new stuff all the time. Right. Just really refine this stuff, make it great. Learning the first rule it. of comedy. Right. That is, it, it. Look, it, no, don't do that. You are not, this is not Weekend Update. This is not Chevy Chase. You don't have to do, right. uh, you know, I guess it was Dennis Miller by that point, but you don't have to write new stuff every week. Oh, and by the way, he writes with a group of six guys, and they have all week to do it. You're yeah. in school, you're working full time, and you're trying to write by yourself a fresh 10 minutes, and you're digging your own grave at that point. So to have that little eye-opening thing was, you know, that's the first time you learn your first real lesson in comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, so on the strength of getting better that way, and then another couple of comics coming back, uh, on repeat visits a year later or whatever, um, got invited out to go on the road and be a feature act. So I developed 25 minutes and, um, and then I, I was, uh, heavily involved with a, with a female type and, uh, the prospect was there to get married, and I was told by her that I couldn't be out uh, traveling the country on the weekends having fun. I had to be home with her, and she never said a truer statement in her life, because uh, <laughs> it was no fun being at home with her. Uh, so uh, I quit comedy. So are you working on your 10
0: minutes right now? No, 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 no.
1: But you, you, you get this wrapped down. When <laughs> yeah, you yeah. do when you do radio on the road, uh, it's very funny. Podcasting has changed all that. Um, there's a there's a radio host in Bozeman, Montana. His name is uh, Lounge Lizard Larry, and he's got the morning show, and uh, one of my favorite shows in the entire country, and mostly because the first time uh, I did his show, normally it's a 15 minute segment, and we got held over for all three hours of his show that day, <laughs> and because uh, it was somebody different to talk to uh, that that wasn't just yeah no yeah and you know not some drunk hungover comedian who got rousted out of bed at too early in the morning. So um, yeah, you develop a little you, you develop your little stories that kinda tell the backstory. And so I I'm sorry if it sounds a little canned that there's actually some jokes worked yeah. into the material. No, no, but no,
0: no. so like you said, you go on this tour. Yeah. And one of the things back in the old day, like you said, the podcasting has changed this but back in the old day, that was a big thing. Go to the radio uh, sh- station in the morning, right? To, to promote the show for the night.
1: Still is today. Mm-hmm. Um, the the comedians that would be, um, I don't know who the improv is hooked up with, but they're the big comedy club locally, mm-hmm. uh, the big name comedy club. Right. Prior to that, uh, it was the Comedy Cafe, which had been in mm-hmm. Milwaukee for about 25 years. Mm-hmm. And those comedians always were on Dave and Carol on Thursday morning or Friday morning, depending on what era you're mm-hmm. in. If you go back to that 89, 90, 91 era, um, comedy was completely different. Obviously no internet, um, much more of a free for all. Uh, pay was amazing, uh, because people drank, we didn't have drunk driving laws that dragged every person off the road Thursday through Sunday. And, and, um, they and, ruined
0: all our fun and they criminalized it, everyone. It, yeah. And I,
1: and I drive a ton because of road work. Right. So I'm all for strict enforcement, of, of all that stuff. Right. Um, but it really, you know, uh, I, I say regularly that you really become a professional comedian when you realize that you're a whore for alcohol. Yeah. You only get booked back if they have an amazing night of sales. So right. our entire ah. tour was forced down uh, getting people to drink heavily uh, so that these out-of-the-way venues would have an amazing night. But that was the other side of it. In, in winter South Dakota there's one cop and and yeah. you know can't he catch can't everybody. catch everybody yeah, right. you know <laughs> right. and, and uh you know i'm not gonna say i didn't stagger down the street and fall down a couple of times if i knew there was a cop sitting at the end of the block and yeah. have him come up and be talking to me while while 20 other vehicles went driving away <laughs> and uh you know i played decoy every now and again if i had to so sure. it's it, it's a little different animal um but a lot of those places that I specifically went to in that second go round of comedy, um, it it was it was more like the nineties. Yeah. The way we did it, just because of where we went as opposed to going to the big city. So Yeah. Um but back in the day in, in ninety two, when I'm doing my first rounds, ninety one, ninety two, and I'm finally getting to the feature level at clubs in Indianapolis and St. Louis mm-hmm. and champagne Urbana wherever I mean there were comedy clubs everywhere again that was boom right. time for the Midwest. Sure, the Shank Hall used to be the Funny Bone in Milwaukee, so it's okay. this little thing. I mean, there were four there, at one time. There were six clubs in Milwaukee. Uh, There's a club right down the street here on North Ave. There was a club on layton Avenue in Sixth down in uh, uh, Stooges, it was which was the one in North oh, Avenue. Uh, i don 't remember what the name of it was, but it 's where Chris Farley did his first stand up and realized he sucked at stand up and went to the improv stuff and so he just couldn 't do stand up so he just went to went and did stand or to do an improv that led him to saturday Night live but um
0: and then, the, and then the, there was a downturn in comedy eventually. Well,
1: well prior to the, the pay was amazing. Like a feature act, you could make fifteen hundred bucks in a weekend right. in the nineties. So I'm you know, yeah, if I work forty weeks out of the year, I'm making sixty grand a year as a feature, and I'm a passenger in the headliner's car. Right. So it doesn't cost me anything. They're not going to charge you gas because they're making three to five grand a weekend and right. they're living the life making 200000 hundred fifty, two hundred thousand a year back in the day. Yeah. I know guys that have shows on Netflix that we're making 60 grand a year in the mid teens, 20 teens, yeah. mm-hmm. like just painfully low money. I don't know if this is completely true. It can't be completely true, but I know oftentimes at a place, I'm not even going to say it's exactly the improv at, at many name brand comedy clubs. Now mm-hmm. they don't even pay the feature acts. There's enough local comics in the bigger cities that right. will work for free. Right. That they don't even pay the features. Right. That's horrifying. Wow. You know,
0: they're just trying to get exposure to hopefully become. That's
1: what they're selling is right. exposure, and and these guys are so hard up to for fame. You know, it, it's really become it's become a pursuit of fame more than a pursuit of professional community. You, we right. talked uh, about
0: how you kind of developed this business model yep. of of a two man act, and mm-hmm. you go to small places yep. where uh, where these these towns didn't have anything going on, and you were the big thing that weekend yeah exactly
1: uh we so i i'd been kicking this idea around for probably when i started writing again as the divorce started uh because that stuff just doesn't last uh as the uh uh as i like to say i was married for 14 years and then that stopped and, and it just it was the end and so i uh i started writing again it's a it's that thing that it's just like wow i, I got a lot of stuff to get out here and then uh I moved into a neighborhood where there was an open mic two blocks away, and I'm like, "Well, I've got all this stuff. I should start trying to do it." Sure. And holy cow, I'm getting some good reaction. And and even the open mic scene was quite a bit different back then. Uh, it wasn't so clicky. I would say today it's um, we don't have dart leagues. Remember bowling? We don't have bowling anymore. No. <laughs> and so now people, you know, they throw axes inside of bars. That's always a good combination: yeah. alcohol and <laughs> axes. And uh, or they get into uh, or they get into comedy. And it's their hangout. It's where they score their pot. It's where they hook up with friends to go watch, you know, late night Netflixing. And, and and that's what it is. It's a club more than it's practice for professional comedians trying to get better. Right. And I feel like that period from like 06 to 2010 was way more serious. The comedians that were in the open mic scene in Milwaukee back then, many of them uh, have gone on to some fairly impressive results and And I don't see I see the number that make it out of the scene today, not even as a percentage in real numbers, is way less than than the scene birthed back before two thousand ten. yeah um, so that's uh, that's kind of where i that's where I swung in and and started just working on trying to get that first twenty five minutes down uh, and looking for someone. Because my intention was, look, I, I, am leaving this life that of the married life. I am, I shouldn't have stopped doing this 15 years ago. I'm going to go back to it and give it a legitimate shot. Right. Tried to do the club thing. The pay was so god awful low. I'm like, I can't right. do yeah. the club thing. My life costs more than I can make as a feature. Because whereas I used to make. 500 a set Mm. now i'm making now i'm being offered 200 a set and it's 15 17 20 years later now it's as low as a hundred dollars a set for a feature act and it's like how do you even pay for your gas getting around the country at that uh because they do all have to travel separately because they don't pair people up because they don't think about quality Mm. so they don't put two good comedians together one coming up and one really well established Nobody has the power to say, I want this guy to be working with me all the time because he can't because that guy can't make enough money to stay with that guy out on the road. The whole right. thing has become this vicious cycle of just a lowest common denominator, you know, just sinking to the bottom of, of what you can get for the quality. to the bottom. So you yep.
0: paired up with this guy that uh, eventually ended up yes. betraying you. Yes, yes. And you would go out on these… You you said a lot of uh, sound like a lot of uh, plain states you know North Dakota Nebraska yeah you go to towns the size of a hundred two hundred four hundred people a thousand people our plateau was twenty five thousand so we specialized
1: in towns of twenty five thousand and smaller right and we tried to go at least two hours away from a major population center uh, a little difficult in North Dakota just because so much concentration in Fargo right. and then there's just little towns right outside but it's amazing the people just 30 minutes, 40 minutes outside of town don't want to have anything to do with Fargo. To them, that's not North Dakota. That's like Minneapolis. That's Minneapolis West, man. (laughs) They just hate it. Uh, just hate it. So you go to Jamestown, which I think is about 55 minutes west of Fargo. It's a different world. It's a it's a completely different universe, and then you go north. You go got by Grand Forks, and then you got Devils Lake and Minot, and and uh, you know big towns like Watford City and uh, Dickinson, nice oil field town where you're out in a fracking field bar with sixty men who haven't seen a woman in six months, and wow, you smell pretty good. It was a, there were a couple of challenges every now and again. By that point, we'd developed some pretty decent credits. Um, my road partner had tried out for Last Comic Standing twice and okay. had gotten in front of cameras once. And, um, I had different things, you know, we both did stints on Bob and Tom and, and just, you just stay in it. You, you put yourself out there enough to be able to develop some of those credits. And, and that helps you when you're trying to book that show. Like, why should we book you? And my favorite was a place called Shelby, Montana. It's 30 minutes from the Canadian border and you're way the hell up there. And the owner bought an old uh, Elks Lodge, and they Mm. turned it into just a regular public club. And uh, so uh, his two daughters are the bartenders, and and they're coming up in the age of the internet and everything, and they know what's famous and popular and not. and And so they're like, how are we supposed to sell these tickets? We've never heard of these guys. He's like... How many comedians come to this town? Yeah. Who, who's going to drive to the top of Montana? Just sell the damn tickets. Tell them if they're not here, they're idiots. And that's how you sell out a show in a town of 3,000 people. Is sure. you, and and we had 190 people in a room that held 120, and they're the we were in the lower level. And it's one of those old fraternal clubs where the staircase going down looks yeah. like the high school right, right. staircase where it's like, 12 feet wide. So they were sitting up on these things like bleacher seats yeah. and, and just blew the room apart, loved the show. And then the next year they put us in the big Eagle or the Elks Lodge where the big mm-hmm. poobah chair and everything yeah. was. And everything. So the next year, you know, we're 350 people yeah. in it yeah. because we're the only thing. Well, the problem with that is somebody else that it had, it yep. yep. And so the next year, the third year, uh, a club down the street was now doing comedy once a month with a booking agency hmm. so you're back to the comedians getting paid the headliners getting paid 300 bucks the yeah. features getting paid a hundred bucks right and gradually very quickly even um, the quality of the comedy goes down mm-hmm. because what comedians gonna drive to freaking Shelby Montana for three hundred dollars you're literally two and a half three hours north of Helena like you are no longer in civilization when you're right. that far up yeah but we charge a thousand for the show yeah. and we make enough money. And I figured it out again, business guy who becomes comedian, you know exactly what you need to make on a daily basis to keep the tour profitable. Mm-hmm. And, and as long as you keep that focus. So my basic rule was we can't hit the road unless we're doing a 10 show run as a bare minimum. And that means 10 shows, 10 cities, 10 successive nights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if I don't start on a Thursday and end on the next Sunday, I'm not going to really make money on that tour. I can't go do three shows here and then have four nights non-revenue off and paying for hotels and food every night and then do another Thursday, Friday, Saturday type night weekend of the next weekend. Mm -hmm. You can't do six shows over two weeks. So we would do 30 shows in 30 cities and 30 nights. That was our first run. Um, Wow. Our biggest was 51 shows in 45 nights in 47 cities. On two of those nights, we had two shows in two different cities on the same night. Wow. And (laughs) and so you, you get good at hustling and scrambling and, and making sure like vehicle maintenance, man, those Honda Odysseys were the best maintained vehicles. Cause I couldn't afford a breakdown. Oh, yeah. You know, what Honda dealer exists in, in Sparks, North Dakota, in Shadron, South Dakota, in Wazoo, Nebraska, mm-hmm. in all those big towns that we played. There's nothing. Nobody was there to work on did
0: Anybody else it. figure out this model, this business model?
1: So there was a comedian out of Chicago who did it regionally. And he basically focused on the Lake Country and western Illinois, northwestern Illinois, and a bit into Wisconsin. A mm-hmm. little bit of Iowa because he was originally from there, so he would use it as an excuse to go back. But he could be profitable just doing four-day shows or three-day runs, you mm-hmm. know, Thursday through Saturday runs, because mm-hmm. he wasn't that far from home. Right. Sure. Uh, he also paid crap. So again, you feature for him, you got a hundred bucks in his mind. He was helping you out and putting some money in your pocket because you were getting a real audience. But, um, and so we shared a bunch of ideas uh, in the early stages and then things kind of went weird with that guy. But um, uh, I just, again, I look at it from the standpoint of where's the underserved market Mm -hmm. and what does it take? For some, And it just came out of, I have family up north, and I have a sister who's a huge Brian Regan fan. That guy is right. brilliant, one of yeah. the greatest ever. Mm-hmm. And and for whatever reason, one year a tour that he was uh, doing wasn't going to go to Wausau, which was one of his original towns okay. when he first hit the road in the Midwest. So he plays there every year at the Grand Theater, and he wasn't going to be there, and she wanted to go see him. Closest was Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. Well, that's four hours from yeah. where we're from. Mm-hmm. So that means hotel room. Mm-hmm. Breakfast the next morning, dinner the night before, go to the show. It's a thousand dollars, as opposed to forty dollars going to see him in Wausau, plus whatever the drive from Merrill to Wausau—twenty minutes. So, okay, how many people have to do that if they want to go see a comedian in the big city? That's a big ask. What if they have two or three kids? You got to pull in the grandparents for an overnighter. That's a big ask. So. And do they have the $1,000 to spend? So if we could bring professional-level comedians, TV credits, just a well-crafted show, mm-hmm. perfect sound and lights. I built a beautiful sound and light system. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have to have anything. Right. We were a fully contained comedy tour in a Honda Odyssey. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, I mean, wintertime, when you're driving across North Dakota and Montana – in the dead of January, you know, Nokia Hakapalita snow tires from Finland because they're the best snow tires in the world. Right. I didn't put anything less on the vehicle because I wasn't going to take that chance of getting stuck somewhere or whatever. So yeah. you just do the things you have to do because you have to be somewhere else tomorrow night. Yeah. I have to be able to get there. So, right. how
0: about you, 45 days, 50 days in a row? You got to get sick some days. How do you get up there when you're sick? You'd be amazed at how...
1: It really teaches you a lot about your body. Adrenaline is an amazing drug, mm-hmm. amazing recuperative powers, uh, and for whatever reason, I don't know, I don't know how this even figured out. But uh, fireball, if I had a tight throat i would do a shot of fireball it's the only time i ever drank before going on stage i i when i first came back in 2006 and was starting to go up to those open mics i'd buy other people drinks i had a day job right and and all, most of these comedians were broke and no money at all and half right. of them total mental problems so they couldn't even hold a job so i'd always buy everybody their first beer at a at, a, at an open mic and just say hey let me get you a beer hey, let me get you a beer and uh I realized I was drinking like six to eight beers before I ever got on stage. (laughs) And, and a comedian from Seattle was coming through town. Um, Richie, uh, starts with an S, um, Stratton, Richie Stratton, uh, was a friend of another comedian here in Milwaukee. And, uh, and we're just sitting around talking before the show. And I was just about to get up and buy somebody else a beer. I already had two empties in front of me and he just goes, uh, are you going to do that open mic down wherever on Tuesday? Are you going to do that tomorrow night? And I go, yeah, I think so. He's like, uh, why don't you not drink before and just see what see what you think of your set? Yeah. And I went up and he hadn't seen me. Right. But it was just a suggestion that he saw from the, I was going to get my third beer. Right. And I went up the next night without getting anything to drink before. And I, was, I saw the room completely differently. You pick up on so many other little things when you don't have that little bit of cloud. Right. That just that little bit of, less to now and i never i don't have any stage fright i didn't right. need the alcohol to have the courage to get up on stage right. that's never been a problem i'm a talker and phew, changed my never drink before so only if there was a tight throat day 38 yeah. of a tour you caught something because some kid doesn't wash his hands at the subway or whatever right. and you eat that sandwich and yeah. uh, 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 oh crap what do i do now <laughs> right, right get to the bar hey can we get you anything you're not gonna believe this i need a shot i need a shot of fireball it's three in the afternoon
0: yeah <laughs> like i'll take it anyway yeah. well and it
1: wasn't it wasn't enough to give you that cloud though right just enough just to clear no, just your so it was
0: well let's yeah. leave it at that uh we'll take a little bit of a break here and we'll come back in just a minute and a week for our listeners and we'll continue this conversation about comedy we talked about his career in comedy in the second half we want to talk about where comedy's going in the area and in general here uh, for the next episode. So uh, we'll get right back to you. All All right. Thanks, Brendan. Brendan. Sounds good. Join us next
1: time on the Bait and Switch Podcast for the conclusion of our interview with comedian Brendan
0: O'Day. You've made it to the end of another Bait and Switch Podcast. Spread the word.